And as you and your party of level one adventurers exits into the woods surrounding Neverwinter, you follow the tracks to their natural conclusion. A camp, a goblin camp, with not one, not two, not even three, but fifty-five goblins. There poisonous demonic griffins with flaming tongues and eyes ready to devour that sounds fair that's the art sierra doesn't suck at all i'm mo and i'm austin and today we talk cr encounters on today's episode of dungeons and brews It has been a few weeks, Mo, since we've been back. How you doing, buddy? Hey, everybody. How's everyone going? How's everything's going? How was your holidays, everyone? We're hoping you guys had an amazing and absolutely fantastic time there. It has been quite some time since we've gotten together here on Dungeons & Brews, so we are excited to be back. And this is officially the start of Season 2. Officially the start of Season 2. We have a lot of things to get to, including brews, topics, questions, Winners of a couple of contests that we were running. Winners but of a couple of first, contests. Our top priority, as always, on Dungeons and Brews is finding the most noble, valiant, and exquisite brews for your holiday season. So we should start, I believe, with the brew. Waka waka. So today, everyone, we're... Come on. <laughs> we need to go a little fuzzy, okay? <laughs> okay, so Eastern Market Brewing Company is who we're going with today. Uh, I think the second time we reviewed an Eastern Market one, we did Elephant Juice, uh, I remember, on one of our episodes. But Eastern Market Brewing Company, we are going with their sweater weather, everyone. It is a hazelnut porter. I believe it's brewing ABV percentage it's is... 7.2%. 7.2%. Yes, it is. All right, Brewmaster Austin. For the first time in season two, shall we? In a five, a four, a three, a two, and I do two minute countdowns. No explosions. Thank God. Let it. We are still that paranoid about it, aren't we? <laughs> it's not bad. I am a porter fan. It's one of. It's actually one of my favorite styles of beer. I I have to say that even though I really like the elephant juice, I'm finding it a bit lacking on the actual hazelnut flavor. It's not that heavy. Yeah, that's really not. Right. Like, Especially at seven point two percent, I would have, I would have wanted a little, a little more oomph with it, a little bit more girth, a little bit I don't, more substance. I don't, know, I don't know if girth was the word I was looking for, but sure, if you, if your mind wants to go into the gutter, it's first episode of season two already in the gutter. Uh are you shocked somehow? Yes, actually, I thought you would have at least made it five minutes. Oh well, come on now, <laughs> waka waka, <laughs> waka waka, indeed, and that is what we are going to focus on, guys, today. Waka waka, let's move it along here because <laughs> let's go ahead and announce our winners for our lovely contest that we had going on. First and foremost, here, let's go ahead and announce our winner for the biggest contest we had going on for the entire month of November, and that was our giveaway prize. You guys followed us. You guys found out where we lived, tracked our homes and addresses. You stalked my family. I'm kidding. You guys actually reposted our post, tagged your friends, tagged your family. We put you all into a nice big spinny wheel, and we go ahead and went, uh, went and drew the name off of uh, recording here, and we chose, uh, I, we didn't choose, the spinny wheel ended up with Garrick, at Garrick underscore May there. Uh, excuse me, at Garrick May underscore. 
got to be correct in that spelling. But uh, he is the lucky winner for our Player's Handbook and our DMGR Dungeon Master. So Masters go ahead guide. and reach out to the Dungeons & Brews Instagram with a message on some mailing information so that we can send that out to you. Uh, and we will make sure that you get a copy of both the Player's Handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide. We're so excited. It's going to be great. I uh, we uh, I'm beyond excited. Uh, we hope to, like, every so often, maybe, guys, we'll do another one of these big drawings and other big type of things. And, you know, just a, a great way to spread our name and spread our words out there. And uh, we have a lot planned for this season. So we're really excited about this. And this one, especially. something related to our world creation aspect. We have the winners for the randomly selected four additional players that will be joining Mo in the Alamond campaign, Gem of the Rocky Road. And with that, I put everybody who responded into the uh, sort of page that we put on Discord, and I put them again on the big spinny wheel. We spun five times with the first four being the players and the fifth one being the alternate should someone end up not being able to commit time-wise or for other reasons. So with that, our four players will be at Traceless Path, at The Rose, at Kiki Love, and at DNGR James. Danger James. And the alternate, the fifth one is Johannes Verne. I apologize if I'm pronouncing either of those names incorrectly. But those are the five, uh, first four being the players, Johannes being the alternate if someone decides to back out for whatever reason. We are so excited. I know I am extremely excited. I've been showing Mo a little bit what I've got cooking up that's not spoilery. It's just, not spoilery, no. no. Just some general ideas on how the maps are going to look and, and things like that. Uh, yeah, so again, uh, that's the biggest one of all. Uh, Brewmaster Austin and I, we were breaking down in particular how we are going to put our maps and the way it's going to be created. Uh, uh Speaking of which, and I was going to lean towards this for you, obviously, considering how big this undertaking might be, probably going to be theater of the mind, I would assume. I will establish some sort of Discord server and we'll be using our lovely settings there. To, you know, so, you know, all our players can see one another. We can just have a great time there. But definitely theater of the mind is how we're going to do this. So, you know, Brewmaster yeah, Austin. Yeah, there will be some battle maps here and there um, that I'll have. Uh, so... A few of the a few of the ways that I've done it before, and what I'll probably do is I usually do like to hand draw most of my battle maps, just because it's a little easier for me to add things in as time goes on. So if for whatever reason player molds earth, I can take a two minute break and draw the molded earth onto the map, so that it makes sense that the map is morphing with how the battle is raging. So if someone casts fireball and it hits a tree. I can mark which burning tree that is very easily and modify the map a little bit easier. I know there are websites that do it, but I'm not as savvy with those. You've never really, like, have you done mini playing before, like with specific mo models, miniatures? I know you have them, right? Yeah, I so I have them. I use them to, like, illustrate more than anything, but especially with what I do for work, I don't have the time to... to paint as much as I would like. So I do end up reusing a lot of a lot of minis really is just markers. Um, so, you know, I have a hill giant mini that I've used to also represent a storm giant. I've used to also represent a fire giant. You know, I, I haven't painted it. To, All giants do not look alike. I know. Any, uh... I know they don't. Yeah. But I just don't have, <laughs> you know, the time or wherewithal to paint. On my... We should talk about the ordning sometime when it comes to giants. The ordning is a really it's interesting. It's a big one. It's very it's also an extremely long, more than likely special episode topic for us yeah, to discuss. For down, for down the road. Yeah. 
So, but moving into our actual, our topic for the day, uh, this was actually ro- uh, recommended by Johannes. So shout out to you um, in our episodes requests on our Discord server, which you could find the link uh, in the Spotify uh, description for the episode. But he wanted to know about balancing encounters. Um, and he mentioned that he'd been building a campaign to run with four kids. Um, and the hardest part for him is to try to balance plot hooks, storylines, lore, culture, locations, and making sure the encounter still feels fun and vibrant. So there's a lot of topics unpack with balancing an encounter. And the first thing that Mo and I, when we sort of looked at this topic and thought about it, we wanted to direct you to is, as always, the DMG. In Chapter 3 of the DMG, they have a layout on how to make an encounter. It includes XP values per level. If you have multiple monsters, there's a multiplier. It all gets, it looks very, very complicated. And I want to just say, as someone who has never used that chapter, there are plenty of websites for free, not D, because obviously D&D Beyond, you only have a certain amount of stuff you can access, but there are other websites that will help you balance encounters for you and give you a general sense of what you should and should not present your players with. So the biggest thing uh, takeaway here, guys, is again, figuring it out. I mean, Johannes, you, you presented a great point. Where do I start? How do I do it? In his uh, question to us, he said that he's worried about making encounters too difficult or happen, uh, happenstance to TPK the party in a few sessions. This is where everything that we have talked about in season one kind of comes back into play, right? The fudging of roles, the the adjustments of stats here and there, realizing you may have created something a little too OP, so how do I dial it back? I think the biggest underlining factor here when it comes to creation and where to start, look what the players are doing. Look where they are. Look at their basic environment. If they are in a setting, let's say like a cityscape, right? Where's a great place to set everything up? The sewers, right? Go to the sewers. You're fighting for the most part rat encounters, right? And the, most of those things are like CR. Yeah, mutant, crocodile, you know. And it's, so I it's think- It's low. And yeah. one of the things that I, I recommend, I th- I believe with your free account uh, that you create on D&D Beyond, you can still go into their encounter creator and you can select monsters by terrain type, by environment type. And that is, uh, for you, Johannes, especially if you're starting out to try to balance something, it's very easy narratively to make sure that, hey, okay, I'm going to click the environment urban. And I know that I'm going to get maybe some oozes, like Mo said, rats, crocodile. You know, you're going to get maybe a rakshasa for upper level parties. Like you're going to get different sorts of monsters that might make their home there. It's the same thing with hills. Like you'll get hill giants. You'll get, you know, maybe a roving, like a roving band of ghosts from an adventuring party that died a long time ago. Like, you can get a lot of different things depending on the environment. And that's one website. I know there are plenty of others um, that do it, uh, that organize them by environment type. So that's a great place first off. Oh, yeah. The second thing that I like to do once you figure out what environment you're making the encounter, whether it's a forest, the Arctic, a city, is think about what style your campaign is. And what I mean by that is when we kind of we kind of have briefly touched on it a few times that there are different versions of D&D games. There's, you know, more grueling dungeon crawls. There's the more lighthearted comedy sort of styles. The horror based. The horror base. I mean, there there are really a, a variety of types. 
So that goes to, hey, what are you trying to accomplish in your campaign? If your campaign is to make the players have that almost like dark Soulsian fear that they're right on the cusp of death, then you might put more menacing monsters in there. Even though the CR might be the same, you might pick something a little bit tougher. Like me and Mo were just talking about flame skulls actually prior to this. You might, for a harder campaign, you might put a flame skull in there as opposed to two ghosts. Imagine a CR4 creature that if you, you can make a CR4, CR3, CR4 tends to be, and I know we'll get to breaking down CR a little later and challenge, specifically it's called challenge rating. But what's very interesting about that, imagine a creature being able to cast the infamous spell known as fireball, right? And that's what a lot of them are. I think something else to take advantage of here, again, is back looping it back to the DMG here. Uh, it is in the, uh, uh, chapter three creating their adventures and under their character objectives it does break down you know what is that player's character objectives uh making for instance like they showed some samples here like make peace is it to protect an npc or an object is it to retrieve an object running a gauntlet i think a brewmaster awesome was just talking about that sneaking into a place stopping a ritual what you do here with these encounters is for instance everyone you do not have I don't have to make the one big bad versus the party. I can make smaller little fights that lead up to it. And what does that do above anything else? It drains resources. Yeah. When you drain resources, you can then scale back on the CR for the final boss, right? Mm -hmm. They just went the gauntlet, right? The gauntlet approach. Having three mini encounters that lead up to it. And maybe ones where they have to drain spell slots and use the ability of magic to infuse a certain object with a certain amount of magic. Yeah. So, and, and Mo went the exact direction that I wanted to go next. So it just shows, even on season two, we're still on the same page. It's once you get your, your shame, buddy. <laughs> once you get your environment done, once you get sort of the style, like what you're looking for, is it more grueling? Is it less? The DMG sets XP amounts. And that's what CR is really based on, is it's a certain XP for that monster that's then divided up by the party. So let's say you've got four level one adventurers, right? And you've got, um, in the DMG, it says an easy, uh, an easy encounter would be 25 experience to each player. So you know that you need to have a total of 100 XP for that encounter for it to be considered an easy counter when the XP is divided up at the end of it. So that could be four creatures that each give 25 XP, a creature that gives 50, and two that give 25, one creature that gives 100. So there's a lot of different ways that you can morph the encounter. But with that, that is what goes into what we talked about earlier with the multiplier in there. Um, so the more creatures you add, D&D, &D, um, the DMG adds in a multiplier. So for two creatures, it's a 1.5 times XP multiplier. So let's, yep. let's say your encounter was originally, it's got two creatures and it's 50 XP. Well, now it's actually worth really 75 because it's two creatures as opposed to one. So you you can see how you will need to do a little bit of, of math uh, to figure that out. However, I want to provide, I know we, we mentioned DMD Beyond, but there are two other sites that I know of. Um, Kobold Fight Club is a really solid encounter um, to, you can add characters and monsters to a list and even track HP values on it as well. So it's kind of similar to the D&D Beyond Encounter list. I and I find it a little bit more user-friendly. Um, and then there's also uh, Castark. 
um, is an encounter balancing app as well that has an initiative tracker and it's a little bit less um, bells and whistles on it than Kobold, Fight Club, or D and D Beyond. But for like the very base, it it will it will help you balance, and I, that's what I really recommend. Um, is because everybody pretty much has access to a mobile device or a computer. Is that I personally have never calculated CRXP on my own because one, I don't want to do that much math. I already do enough as a DM, <laughs> and and two, I I trust these these sites to do it for me because it's a little bit easier for me to visualize. Do you? So there's a couple ways to judge encounters in XP. So for instance, a lot some play up, and we talked about this before, milestone versus XP. Do you have you ever used the XP format? So I have. And the problem and the reason that I will and this always, is almost, quickly going to loop back into the CR yeah, uh, talk, uh, which is trust always, me, it's coming. Both Brewmaster Austin and I have a differing opinions to put it bluntly in regards to yeah. CR. Um but I almost without exception use milestone there has there i can think of two times that i have used xp and even in one of those campaigns we switched to milestone um it's the problem that i have with it is not awarding xp that's fine it's that there's not clear and equitable xp in the dmg for social situations so the way XP is done in D&D rules is written favors, well, the Brennan Lee Mulligan sketch is like, well, we're going to go to a wizarding school. Why are we not out slaughtering goblins? Because that's how you get good at magic. You get XP. Yep. What are you going to learn from reading? That is, that is one of my favorite uh, like Adventures uh, Academy things in which him and Matt Mercer, mm. they they play a game there. Like uh, like Brennan will defend one thing and uh, the the host will defend another, right? Yep. But it's, it's very interesting because he's right, right? All it takes it for your players to do Find a place that has an endless supply of goblins. Awesome. I'm going to spend three weeks here. I'll make them roll constitution saving throws. But here's the thing, guys. Anytime you allow a player to roll, guess what? You're giving them a chance to succeed. <laughs> right. And and that's what I've found is that nope. the XP-based system, not always, but it tends to encourage a little bit more of the murder hobo style. Which is fine. Like, obviously, there are campaign settings and stuff that are perfectly fine for that. But I also like to encourage the role play because, for a, at least for a lot of my campaigns, the social interactions matter more than combat. Agreed. Combat is something for you to survive. It's not the narrative. And for me, I struggle with XP because you don't get it socially. But uh, putting all that aside, it is still useful to balance the encounter to at least give you a general sense of where the encounter should be. So, with that being said, let's we we you guys have heard us say it: CR, 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 CR. This is literally from our trailer opener. We talked about CR. Let's break it down. It stands for challenge rating, everyone. And I'm going to take this directly out of the monster's manual there in the first few pages of it. So a monster's challenge rating tells you how great a threat that the monster is, according to the encounter builder guidelines in chapter three of the Dungeon Master's Guide. Those guidelines specify the number uh, numbers of adventures 
of a certain level that should be able to defeat a monster of a particular challenge rating without suffering any deaths. Any appropriately equipped and well-rested party of four adventurers should be able to defeat a monster that has a challenge rating equal to its level without suffering any deaths. For example, a party of four third-level characters should find a monster with a challenge rating of three to be a worthy challenge, but not a deadly one. I'm going to, again, continue here because I think it's important to break down all of the, the definition of CR and why I think it's okay to use and should be highly encouraged. Monsters that are significantly weaker than first-level characters have a challenge rating lower than one. Monsters with a challenge rating of zero are insignificant except in large numbers. Those with no effective attacks are worth no experience points, while those that have attacks are worth 10 XP each. Some monsters present a greater challenge than even a typical 20th level party can handle. These monsters have a challenge rating of 21 or higher and are specifically designed to test player skill. Now, and I know where you're going to jump with this one, even before I finish my point, right? Challenge rating is a way for first-time DMs and even, you know, skilled and, uh, you know, experienced DMs to help them take an encounter and then figure out where it falls on the scale of an uh, easy encounter, a medium, a hard, or the infamous deadly encounters, right? And usually when you're talking about hard or deadly, you're talking about maybe the loss of a, of a PC. Now, I say that to you, and here's what Brewmaster Austin's already going to tell you. Go ahead. Talk about abilities. CR sucks. Yeah. No, it doesn't. It does. No, it doesn't. It does, because Go I, it, here's yeah. the thing, is that, so in the wonderful excerpt that Mo just read to you, it says what they should be able to deal with without dealing a death. However, I can think of at least five different monsters off the top of my head that have a save or die mechanic. It doesn't matter. You showed me all five of them when we were matter. out to dinner earlier today. <laughs> it does not matter in those instances. All that matters is like you have to roll. And I showed him one that you cannot block two of them actually that you cannot block you cannot close your eyes to avoid you can't stuff your ears to not hear and it doesn't matter how much your con saving throw or your deck saving throw or whatever saving throw it is if you roll a natural one that's a death yeah that is just straight up a death which means it it cannot hang on zero zero isn't a death i'm just but saying it's unconscious <laughs> it it's still they would be rolling death saving throws they would they would be rolling and... death saving throws and and what I also want to point out is that CR is based on you running, I think, at least three to four encounters a day. So a lot of a lot of things where I struggled, Johannes, early on, was my adventuring day would have one encounter, and they would annihilate it because they had they were fresh. They had all their spell slots, all their abilities, all their action surges, rages, you know, everything. They had all of their stuff, and it's designed to wear the players down throughout the adventuring day. So one thing that I know you put in here was not knowing where to put encounters. And what I want to tell you is that you don't have to have encounters for every day of D&D, but for instances where you might gain information or gain an advantage, money, items, things of that nature, you should. So like if they're going into a cave to find the lost runes of Endelakhar, then yeah, there might be somebody guarding the cave. There also might be a crazy hermit in there who like went mad from trying to read the runes. And you, you, th those are the kind of things like you put them in. Not all encounters have to be the BBEG, the big bad evil guy for people who may not know the nomenclature, sending 
people or creatures after the party. It could just be there is a random bear. There is another part of the DMG that does random encounters. And the way I do it simply is I take a D8 and I give it to one of my players. I make them roll. And on a one or a two, most of the time, unless it's a dangerous area, but for an average, like walking through the woods on a one or a two, you get an encounter and it might be a grizzly bear. It might be two wild boars. It might be three goblins who got lost after a night of drinking. Like it could be. It might be three giants when you're exploring within a Storm King's Thunder. Uh, shout out to my old school DM, uh, Tom, who one time decided to roll on the encounter and he almost TPK'd the party until one of us quickly threw up a Leoman's tiny hut because they can't break into it. Yep. We literally almost die. Yep. I That's the problem, right? CR, guys, what Brewmaster Austin is hinting at here above anything else there, and especially, uh, Johannes, especially because you asked this question, but what CR does, yes, to put it bluntly, it is a loose approximation of how you should run an encounter. At the same time, does it have its faults? Absolutely here. Like you're talking about a challenge rating of a creature, for instance, I showed it earlier to Brewmaster Austin and I've mentioned it before on the podcast. It's from the Iron Kingdom setting. It is a tougher base setting. However, this is a CR half creature. I mean, literally not even one, right? And if you get infected with its fever, you are literally diseased for the next five to six days and you will lose health. You will slowly, I mean, off a 0.5 creature. There's other creatures that instantly kill you, can bring you down to zero. So yes, you're right. A level 20 adventurer party, all he's got to do is roll a one. It doesn't matter what a saving throw is. And guess what? His 170 HP is going down to zero against maybe a, I don't know, a cockatrice. Like, so. like a CR4, CR5 monster. So what the main thing that I want to say is that I don't want to do away with CR. I think that it has, it's a great point for you to start, but you're really not going to know how the encounter plays out until it plays out. What I tell people who rely mostly on CR is that CR is correct about 70% of the time. About seven out of 10 times, the encounter that they say is easy will probably be easy. You know which one thing we didn't talk about though? It's mm -hmm. something that you mentioned earlier to me, and I do want to bring it up, mm -hmm. action economy. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's what I was kind of going into is that there then with those other times, there's usually some issues with either how people roll. Players are rolling really low. Players are rolling really hot. You're rolling really low. You're rolling really hot as well. But also there is the idea of action. So I could put four creatures out. Like, so let's just say four base goblins. They only make one attack, right? And the party might run through that. But I can make a similar encounter with one, you know, goblin leader who makes two attacks and one goblin that makes one attack. And the party might have a lot more trouble with that, even though it's the same XP. Because when you are limiting the amount of times that damage can be done, that means that necessarily, okay, let's say the goblin leader rolled a 19. Well, he goes first. His two attacks are automatically going to be made before he is dead. And whereas with the rest of them, it's like, oh, hey, one goblin got to go. He stabbed once, but I get to go before these three other goblins. I have fireball. They're dead. Okay, cool. Now we only have one goblin who's already had his turn in combat. 
So that's why action economy with extra attack especially oh yeah, can skew it a little bit. Again, I want to say, especially for, I think, under level under level 10, CR is right most of the time. It is. It really is. I do. I do not. I am a disbeliever in using it all the time, but I do think that for the most part, it is fairly accurate on it. Please, everyone, if you do have a lot more questions about it too, uh, go check out the beta encounter builder with on a D and D Beyond. Uh, as you add creatures, it takes the CR into account. It's an automatic calculator. Uh, speaking of which, there are a lot of CR uh, uh, when you. And this may kind of connect to our new topic of discussion here that we're going to be our new ongoing segment. But there are a lot of calculator CR calculators that help you in when creating a creature, mm -hmm. you know, i.e. homebrewing. Mm -hmm. So use them. Uh, the DMG also does break down when homebrewing, how to add it. For instance, if you are adding spellcasting to a creature, it'll say that the CR does increase. You give it legendary resistances of it some increases. sort, it, yeah, it'll increase it as well or decrease it if you're taking away from health and things like yeah. that. So, And I want to go back to, just to make sure that we address specifically everything Johannes was looking for in there. Um, at the end of you know doing the culture maps and counter locations, I think we kind of address that with making sure you pick environment, making sure you pick a style, making sure you then figure out where you want to place them. Like, is there a chamber? Is, you know, all, all that kind of stuff like that. For placing encounters, go with the tropes. There's a there's yep. a there's an idol on a little tower. There's going to be an encounter. Right. There's a mysterious secret room. There's going to be people in it. Yep. Like that kind of stuff. But the last thing you asked is how do you gauge what enemies you can throw at your players to make it fun? And I want to point you to a YouTuber that I really love, RuneSmith. RuneSmith does videos. I think they're called like Battle Tactics of Cobalt, Battle Tactics of Goblin. He does a lot of the base D&D monsters and shows how not only can they outwit a party, but how their, just their lore, their tactics and their lore that's included can make the encounter very dynamic. I would highly recommend going to YouTube and watching a few of those videos because I've implemented a few of the ideas as well. And it can really make your encounters feel less like a slog of hit points in a chessboard and more of like an actual vibrant living encounter. It's it's what's needed. I again, Brewmaster and I have uh, Brewmaster Austin and I have differing ideas in regards to it, but it it is a great basis. On that note, Brewmaster Austin, since I didn't mention the CR calculator, shall we introduce... Oh, Brewmaster Austin, do you hear that music kicking in right now? That's right. We have game show music because we have a new game show here where we dive into the endless expanse of the D&D community's creativity. And just like a mind player, we find the good, the bad, and the downright plump-worthy homebrew items. That's right. Well, let's talk about homebrew. Everyone, this is going to be our new ongoing segment. It is replacing world creation since we're going to start world creation soon. So we are breaking down homebrew items. Uh, for the last couple of weeks now, we've been asking people within our Discord channel and just going through some of the stuff that we know off the top of our heads. And of course, using D&D &D Beyond because they do have their own homebrew. Not sponsored, by the way. Almost. Again. Not sponsored. Almost. Not even almost. We have not even. I have about. something in the works in my brain in a certain segment of. I lost you, didn't I? Come back. Come back. Yep. Big chug. Yeah, there you go. Pinky up. Yeah, there you go. Take that big chug. Yep. Pinky up. Pretend you're an important person. Give me a good. Give me that old wine sipping sound. There we go. Now it's ASMR. <laughs> and now he's choking. <laughs> 
But yes, that's right. We but are going to be diving into homebrew, everyone. I'm cutting Mo off. <laughs> Dice pedal. Oh, wow. Are we... Whoa. Dice pedal. Last time we left off, everyone, it was seven to six. By the way, yes, I know the episodes kind of went a little wonky there because I switched out where we did the special episode and then I did the episode 10 at the wrong time. So we went from five to seven because Brewmaster Austin did roll a natural 20 in our episode nine. But right now, guys... It is a dice battle. It is seven to six. Brewmaster Mo is behind. Can he make it up? Brewmaster, Austin, proceed. I swear to God, if you roll another natural 20. 11. Okay, I've got my big jumbo dice here, guys. It is a 32. He's compensating for something. I really am, and you know what? 13. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the tie. That's right. Ooh, you feel that? Do you feel it? Do you? No, it was nice of you to finally catch up. Took you two episodes. I've got nothing. Actually, I really, I really got nothing. I'm staring at you dead in the face right now, and I, I really, I'm just, it's like staring into the void. I'm staring into the abyss. Well, I was gonna let him keep rolling with that one. I was just making a very blank expression. And why is there a cricket sound but all of a sudden here? Anyway, going Lots back to the crickets. homebrew, we added a homebrew channel to our Discord. Um, and it had some people post in it. And I want to address a few of the things that we got in there um, in this top in this section, because I think a lot of you did post a lot of uh, really cool, also really fun and funny um, items. A couple of the ones that caught my eye were actually Johannes uh, made a post about uh, several different items that he's had in his campaigns. And one of the ones that I really, really enjoyed was the blindsight potion. I thought this was such a cool, really uh, good. such a very cool idea. So if you drink this potion for one hour, you can no longer see in daylight or lit areas. Also for that one hour in any unlit area, you can see perfectly. This is a substitute for players who make characters that don't have dark vision, but comes with a pretty strong downside to balance it, which I agree. I think that if you, taking this potion and then not being see, able to see in daylight for an hour is a really good use of a way to give people the benefit of like a dark vision like spell with the downside of being like, hey, like for an hour, you guys can't really like be effective in daylight. And at least for me, I don't know how many encounter or how many campaigns Mo you've had that do this, but I don't really have encounters or campaigns that go multiple hours in the underdark very often. It's very rare for me. I don't do a lot of nope. underdark stuff. Underdark is a dangerous place. I, I've talked about it before. And the underdark is a place where if you go down there, like there's there's been items that are crea crafted down there or things like that in regards to the do regard. They make certain items that don't work at sunlight, things like that. It's really, it's really unique, but it, it is a very more let's say environment based item right it's very on that specific uh actually uh to base off one that i really enjoyed within our channel on um, this was just me personally and again we're not going to break down all of these right now but just giving you some of our highlights from what people have posted already and we will start reaching out guys to going to start pushing you guys a lot towards instagram creators uh there is a lot of D, D content out there in regards to homebrew i mean it was what the big you know um the uh the big uh copyright claim earlier this year in regards to watsi was about and how homebrew is created and where they can or can't to use it but uh one of them was uh called the staff of blightheart it's by kramer kramer there in our discord channel shout out there kramer but uh it's a living staff requires attunement one charge per day allows the user to speak with plants or surrounding flora additional 
charges come at a varying risk. I really love the way Kramer Kramer described this, but on first use of the day, a sprout buds at the hand of the tip of the staff there. Uh, the user's hand becomes entangled in flower roots. Once the flower blooms, it releases a faint blue glow and a sweet scent. Once the charge is spent, the, user's, uh, the user may attempt additional charges to force another use. Upon the second attempt, the staff will retaliate, growing sharp thorns from the bottom. The player must make a deck saving throw to avoid piercing damage. What I loved is how Kramer Kramer also here described it. It's a backstory. It's made from a blight sapling that never grew to its full bitter potential. It's rebellious essence salvaged and repurposed by a witch for intelligence and strategy. If the staff is planted and cared for, it eventually turns into a helpful blight NPC. Confused, uh, uh, consumes the staff, but it's pretty cool. Uh, there is a blight uh, sapling, a, a blight NPC that can actually uh, have stats and whatnot within the. Uh, no, the I, cool. I, I re and I really love that. I think it's a. I, I love unique items like that, that are not purely comedic and not purely combat, but they're somewhere in between. Because having like the blight NPC can be kind of fun. It's, oh, yeah. it's kind of a fun. It's kind of a fun thing. But the stat, but the, it, it can also be useful. Like right, having an NPC to help you is always useful because there's only so many things that your characters can do at one time. And most people obviously feel very strongly about not splitting the party. Don't ever split. Split the party. Don't do it. Provide me with a little joy in my life. Don't do it. I, I ask for one thing in my life and I want you to split the party. Look, if I, I, if I if give you, you split, a If you split the party in front of me, I will strike you. Yeah, strike at me. I will strike you. Ha ha ha. If I give you a tunnel option and there is left and right, what I am telling you is what I want is for you to split the party. <laughs> That's fair. But I, I, I do really, I do really, really love um, that idea. I also think that another one um, that I got that's a little bit kind of a little bit more on the the uh, com comedic side um, that was posted by the chickens. Um, well, no, the chicken effect was funny, but I don't I think it, it. I don't yeah. think it was an actual item or no, or no, no, or a spell so or anything like that. But it was the speaking stone actually posted Ooh, by Johannes. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. It says a small stone that speaks an insult when struck. Enchantment lasts for one hour after use, uh, and I think it's just funny. Funny, like it's just funny. And there's and you could think of so many ways to use it, and not necessarily the most helpful way, but kind of a funny way. Like you in embed it with like illusion magic or something into a blacksmith's anvil. So for an hour, he's striking it and just getting insulted by his own anvil. You know, there are so many ways that a creative player can use that to either like anger somebody, get somebody to use, you know, uh, kind of lose themselves and like frustration. I think for the most part, it's probably going to be used as a comedic tool. Always. But there Always. are, for a, for a clever player, those are always the items that are the most fun. So like one of the ones that similar, it's not a homebrew item, but I had it in my first campaign was the bird of whistle calls, like the staff of whistle calls. I'm sorry, I'm getting a lot of Zelda vibes right now. Yeah, right. it was like, it's like a staff that does bird calls basically. Yeah. And you can do, and you can pick between like six or seven different bird calls. It has a bunch of charges and stuff and it's just bird calls. But we had basically used it multiple times to like, communicate with the party when we did like okay we're going to surround the encampment if you hear a raven call twice i'll use two charges it means attack if you hear this call you know you, you can and so there was a way for us to communicate using this common 
magic magical item. item yeah and my barbarians are like look i can cast magic bird call like and it's <laughs> it's fun but also useful there are there are ways to make comedic items that are not necessarily the so i'll give you an example one of the ones that um i remember giving to uh one of my one of my good friends uh fizz i know you're probably listening as well um he had played in a, cam- a campaign with me um, that I was DMing. It was one of one of my earlier ones, and there was an armor. It was uh, immune to swords, and what it would do is the armor would separate and allow the sword to pass through. And once he figured that out, he sold. He used his charisma and sold it to somebody else. Be like, it's immune to swords. This is oh, the best that's item ever. I love it. And then that's the, amazing. The guy, the guy put it on. It was like it went up to the town guard and was like tested out it's immune to swords and kept egging this guy on until he was about to swing and my character the npc or the player character fizz's character was like oh no that armor doesn't work it's immune to swords like I kind of being those. very sarcastic I love it, with it yeah but it was very funny and it was a good way it was a laugh but also clever to like use the double meaning of it to outwit somebody but at the same time to be like i'm not gonna let somebody get trapped in it because of it. it's not happening yeah, there's been other ones that I've seen, especially online. Uh, go check out guys that I mentioned in one of our previous episodes. The DMs Guild actually has a lot of those funny items as well. They'll give you like a thousand of these funny items. Uh, like I think there's uh, uh, the one that I found was like two ninety nine is all it costs, and I just gave you a bunch of those. There's one that I remember. It was a a ring of flotation, mm-hmm. and all I remember is what it does is that the ring floats. <laughs> It doesn't cause you to float. It doesn't cause you to uh, hover, but you just take the ring. And as long as it's sitting, it's uh, hot. That's why some of them are uniquely named, right? For instance, like Johannes just showed, right? Speaking stones, right? Come on. You think it's going to be like ascending, right? It's going to be a you know stone ascending or something like that. Nope. It just hurls insults at yeah, you. Yeah. I don't remember what the one was, but it was on, I, think, I believe it was on Dungeons and Daddies. Um, it was like a magical visor that could allow you to switch a letter in a spell. So healing word could be healing wood, you know, things like oh, that. Oh, the letter switch. The yes, letter switch I've that, seen the I've letter seen switch one. You change one letter in a thing, in a, a spell and it becomes And I think they got to use that like two or three times before they ended up rolling in that one on the save and it, you know, destroyed. But it was really cool because like it's a it's a funny magic item and you can make some funny, you know, like me- message to massage, you know, things like that that are that are kind of funny. But you can also find some really, really cool one letter switches and make it a very powerful item. It's up to your creativity as a player to do it. And for me, homebrewing a lot of the time for spells and items is less about me making a badass like, this is the sword of soul reaping that has a plus four against undead and drain. Like, yeah, I can make a really badass super stat. I'm drawing item. Excalibur and here's right, the sword I'm drawing of the stone. Exactly. Yeah. Or I can give you, you know, this plus two sword that talks back to you all the time. And sometimes you roll with disadvantage because it's mocking you. Those are the best. If you guys ever get the opportunity, go look up on YouTube Red Nose Day. And uh, Stephen Colbert actually did a one-on-one session with Matt Mercer. And they did it for Red Nose Day. Very uh, great, fantastic charity they were donating towards. But uh, he got a sword that had like a, what's up, man? What's going on? I'm a plus one sword. And he was fighting a lich. And it was just great. Like you, that's the stuff right there. Those silly little, you know, sentient items. And we'll, we will have a conversation about sentient items in the future. Oh, for guys. sure. For uh, sure. Sentient items are very, and it breaks it down. 
again, we'll talk about this on a different episode because, oh my God, I love sentient items. Mm. But what's really cool about, especially, and notice we're only talking about items right now, guys, for the most part, items, a little adjustment on spells, but items in general, because they're so abundant within D&D, and I mean, everyone makes an item for everything. I think even more so than they do for spells or oh, monsters. Yeah. There, are, there are definitely right? more items than there are in the homebrew. And there are a lot of areas for you to go find uh, homebrew items. Um, one of the ones that I've been using a lot la uh, lately is actually Pinterest. Ooh, uh, there are a ton nice. of because Usually what I've found is with some of the other site, big sites like Reddit and other you know sites that people post to, you don't usually get the artwork with it. And for me, I, I do love the artwork. Same. And with Pinterest, you get the artwork with it and that people post it. And so I really enjoy using that but there are tons and tons of homebrew items out there. And really the question for you is, do you want to make it funny? Do you want to make it useful or somewhere in between? And as we said, like there, are, even with the staff of bird calls, like you can make that common magic item useful. Like there was also one that my same campaign, my barbarian had, it was the helm that makes your eyes red does nothing else but for a commoner if you see a big burly barbarian coming at you and he puts a hat a helmet on and then his eyes go red my dm would often give me advantage on intimidation checks against like a commoner like maybe a town oh, yeah. guard might not be as you know worried about it but like the common barkeep if i like walk in covered in blood with a giant great axe and my eyes are glowing red they're gonna be pretty intimidated so there are ways for even the cosmetic ones i know one that i give out and it's not even a homebrew item it's just a regular magic item but i give out pretty regularly um is the billowing cape that is one of my good friend sean's favorite one to use he has got a bard and of course his tabaxi bard wants the cape of billowing and so it was just it's guys it, it's just the cape that floats at the flop it flows billows in the wind, in the wind. it yeah. billows in the wind to put it bluntly that's no all it what, does it, it, at any point in time you can make it billow in the wind even yep. if there's no wind wasn't it an action though no it was a free action no it's a free action it's a free action yeah so it, it like i said like with homebrew it's really all about you know what you want to accomplish with the item with the spell with the monster you know things like that and the easiest things to make are items. I think that's why there's so many of them. Spells are a little bit tougher because spell casting can get very specific. I, I know I've mentioned it before with my flame boat spell, how I didn't specify it needed to be in water. Well, creative players, such as our lovely listeners, will figure out, oh, I could spawn a boat. It says range 60 feet. I can put it 60 feet in the air and drop it on something. Technically, under the reading, yes, was written. you yep. can do that. Yes, you so, can. And that's why Could I think- you? No, because never mind. <laughs> yeah. It's why I think that most people steer away from doing um, spells and doing monsters because there's, and especially subclasses as well. I know Mo, I've, I've, Mo and I have talked about a few of the subclasses I've done. It, it can get tough to balance. We're currently both working on one. I'm working on a cleric and you are working on a sorcerer, was it? Or something? Are you just creating a class in general? I'm working on a uh, shadow domain cleric as well. well. No, I'm, I'm I finished up the the electric, the kind of electric way of electric soul monk. That's that what I, the that one. one I, yeah, I finished that one up. Yeah. I have thought about um, trying to do maybe some sort of like 
con-based caster. That'd be fun. Because I really, like, I- Full caster or half? Full. It should yeah. be, it should be sorcerers. Sorcerers, yeah. should, sorcerers should be con-casters. I'm going to say it to the day. Don't. We, it should be. It we'll should be here be. for an be. hour. Charisma's fun. Charisma's yeah. fun. <laughs> but charisma is not their soul. It's okay. It's not their being. They we, get their power from their soul, their hey, bloodline. It should be- Hey, Matt. Fun. Take it easy there, Mercer. Be their con. Matt Mercer had the same conversation with someone in regards to it. Yeah. So you're telling me that I agree you're with welcome. the forefront of the D&D community? Shh. <laughs> Tell me how your point's correct again, Mo. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. CR doesn't suck. Anyways, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing we do want to do here, guys, is uh, we, we brought up items real quick. We do want to discuss spells we do want to discuss monster creations uh please pop, keep popping into our discord keep, uh, keep giving us items to discuss and even keep... even in the instagram if you send us a message yeah, or a, you know, tag you... us in a post anything like that we are happy to review anything whether you're like hey would this be okay to give to a level four adventurer would this be good a good spell to allow my player to use in this sort of campaign like we are happy to review especially on the podcast but even if you know if you don't want it on the podcast, Side we're comment. happy. We're happy to review it in private and just send you a message response if you don't want it broadcast out there. That you know, hey, I'm looking at giving this because we know, especially with some of my friend groups, a lot of people are going to be in campaigns with that, other that people. Item. So you don't want to like give too much away, and I get that. So we are happy, happy to do that. I love reviewing homebrew. I, I message multiple people all the time about different homebrew uh, things. One thing that I did want to mention on homebrew for subclasses is that I think that a lot of times with a homebrew for subclasses, people get uh, a little bit too boxed in by the norm with their capstone abilities. So mm. Mm. for those of you who are a little newer to D&D, capstone abilities are your your final ability of the subclass. So at level 20, your your class gets a capstone ability, which is like your pinnacle benefit. Then your whatever subclass you have has at level 18, 19, whatever it is, has a capstone ability. And a lot of times it's like a modifying of another ability, extra damage, some, you know, some sort of thing like that, a free spell, something like that. I get to add my charisma into my final attack, which is just plus five. God, who is it again? Rangers? Oh, God. Yeah, so the wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that one. So it's so weak. I, I, see, see, I've modified that. Yeah. I yeah. modified that. Anyways, I did a, I did a revised full... Ranger, guys. Go look it up. It was an Unearthed Arcana years ago. Uh, it yeah. was, it's great. And then I did a full Ranger re rework in, co in college. I did a full rework. So I did. I based it off of part of, um, there was another, I can't remember his name now. There was another guy who did homebrew, did a ranger revised. I took a lot of the base ranger from him and then I added additional subclasses. So I made so... it to where there was, uh, you were as a ranger, instead of picking like a subclass straight up, you had to pick two things. You had to pick basically uh, a like divine school almost and then Ooh, a subclass. So you had to nice. pick between humans, dwarves, and elves. And each of those things had different priorities. So for humans, obviously, it was more like the beast master, the hunter, the, the standbys. It's like what you would picture with that, right? For the dwarves, I had things like um, there was like a craftsman who could build like unique traps. So you almost like combined an artificer into the a role. Little, a, a little, little bit, bit, yeah. A little bit into it. It was before artificer became official. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of put, but with... Um, 
with the dwarven ones, I gave a lot of like knowledge into crafting, knowledge into smelting. Like there was a little bit more knowledge based on the whole that whole side of things. With the elven one, I made their crafting less about like traps, less about mechanics, and more about the elegance of their weapon. So they their capstone ability, which is really the whole reason I went on this tangent, was to make arrows of slaying. And as Mo knows, and for those of you who don't know, arrows of slaying are specialized arrows that do an additional amount of damage to a specific creature. So there are arrows of dragon wow. slaying, arrows of hill, the like giant slaying. Wow. But I made it, it had to be specific. So yeah. you got to pick between like giants, dragons, aboliths, fiends. And I think that was it. I think it was, I think it was that. And you had to specify what type. So like yeah. I couldn't just make an arrow of dragon slaying. I had to make an arrow of red dragon slaying or an arrow of hill giant slaying or an arrow of bone devil slaying like you had to specifically make it so it was like hey but because one of the, i think their 12th level ability that i gave them was scrying for free twice a day so you can oh see God. how it plays into it yeah like you, the whole thing yeah you need to get the information about what you're going to fight and you can make up to half of your proficiency into the arrows in arrows and that's all you can have at one time. So you can have three arrows at level 20. Because it's plus six, yeah. Because it's plus six. Yeah. So, but because of that, your scrying aspect became so much more important and it scaled off of your wisdom mod. So it was your ranger spell slot save. So now you're like, okay, now I'm really playing the ranger. I'm sneaking in, I'm guiding the party, I'm gathering information. So I'm doing the rangery stuff, but then I'm also making this special arrow that I'm going to unleash and it does an extra, I think I had it roll. Uh, and it was like a one to five was only like an extra 3d6. Whereas like a five to 10 was like 3d8. And a 10 to 15 was 3d10. And then, a, uh, or a, a 10 to 15, sorry. And then a 15 and above was 4d12 bonus damage. So cool. So, it, and it was fun. It was a fun ability. And it's that's, so cool. that's what I want to encourage. It, I love it. Because there's nothing like it. And when you look at subclasses, Johannes, I, I want to address you because you posted a lot in our homebrew. So I feel like you are somebody that has the You've homebrew got that mind, mind the homebrewing mind. Yeah. If you look at capstones, they're so a lot of them are very dull. And giving somebody a capstone that maybe doesn't modify an ability from earlier, but instead encourages its use, I think is oftentimes a better capstone than just modifying an old ability. So with that being said, guys, two things we want to tell you. First thing, if you are posting any homebrews, if you do not mind, please make sure you try and uh, tag the content creator for us. Just let us know. We want to build the community. We love our D&D community. Uh, Brewmaster Austin and I cannot get enough. And anytime we have a chance to promote or push a content creator, I don't care if they have a million and a half views, right? I want to keep pushing them. Yeah, I want to one keep or building. a million will push it. Absolutely. Second thing we want to let you guys know, we are going to be reaching out to some content creators because we would like to do some interviews with some of these people that have it. Uh, I know, for instance, there's several with on uh, Instagram. I would love to talk to you. Uh, Roommaster and I, uh, Austin and I, we were talking about even possibly reaching out to Runesmith himself to see if he would ever be interested. Yeah, I, I, I seriously doubt it. I feel like he's a very busy person with you know, you know his. Three three hundred thousand subscribers or such, but I mean we've he, got we've I got really, fifty six listeners. Like, We're good. I That's like, like the same number. I feel like I've watched 
his videos so many times. It's just, I, I really, to go back to our thing, I know we're wrapping up here, but Johannes, I really, like, I feel like, especially with the last part of your question on how to make the encounters fun, go watch his battle tactics videos. Yeah. Especially, I would recommend the Cobalt and the Bandit ones. Yeah. Those are ways for you to get inside the mind of the monster, the creature, the humanoid, whatever you're throwing in, and actually make the encounter seem intelligent rather than just like you stumble upon a grove and there are two goblins and they turn and they go, ah, like, you know, yeah, that will happen sometimes. But a lot of the time, especially with bandits, they're going to do like, what? what's the movie? A Book of Eli with the girl right, in the right, turned right. over cart. Yep. And then everybody pops yep. out. That's what bandits do. They create traps. So think about how in a magical realm, they might have a like a temporary, like your speaking stone is only a temporary use. They might have a stone that propels them 20 feet up in the air so they can grab a branch and dodge your attack or something. Like it, there are ways to make it interesting and fun without imbalancing it. On that note, Brewmaster Austin, I would love to ask you, you know, to keep the tradition alive and going here. D&D &D spells used for modern day. What are some of your best ones you think you, that would be pretty fun to use? This get, this is a very interesting question. Oh, yeah. I know there are, are a few there are a few suggestions. Um one would be detect thoughts because yep. I think uh, anybody who's watched um what is it is what women want? I think it's with uh, Mel Gibson. Yeah, the, the like you special. can see you yeah. can see how just knowing the surface level thoughts because the tech thoughts you have to you only have to push deeper if you want to so you get the surface level thoughts and just knowing the surface level thoughts of people when you want invaluable invaluable however i think the more capitalistic take advantage of people oh, in on. you know mindset would be something like cure wounds where like, hey, I'm going to be the most well-renowned emergency room doctor because that guy that came in with two gunshot wounds and a barely hanging on leg that's all mauled, cure wounds. His four HP, because he's a commoner, he's back up. He's fully fine. He might have a scar, but he's fine. He can walk. And I'm going to be paid millions. Millions. Milk all the right. American institution system for all it's worth. So, I got you on that one. I'm going to give you two here. One that could be more used for, let's say, criminal-based activities. Knock. I think knock as a spell is so good. Doors locked. brilliant. Doors locked. Cool. Not anymore. The vault's locked. The, not nope, anymore. Not anymore, right? Fort Knox. Not Absolutely locked. not. And one to be ba more based around the capitalistic part of society. Comprehend languages. Come. It is. Are you kidding me? You know how much money I can make? I can understand any spoken language. And as long as I'm making contact with a, the page, I can read the language. I understand what it means. It comes into me in whatever language I'm spoken into more. You kidding me? Absolutely. I think those are great spells. Funny ones, I think, to me would be like something like... Uh, Mayhem, you just. They, oh, I think vicious mockery would be a funny. That one. would be because, like, the could, you best. Admit, could you? Because technically, <laughs> it's a D four. You is. could kill someone with a your mama joke. Guidance. Oh my god, guidance. Guidance would be a guidance. Great. I, like, but I'm pretty sure that's just as like, a guidance counselor. That's just a little bit of it, like Adderall, like, right? Hey, that's son. all it is, right? Hey, son. Hey, here's you're, some guidance. You're doing great. Here's some guidance. <laughs> guidance counselor. Don't don't abuse drugs, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, 
Thank you, Beyond Belief. Season one was an absolute success. Season two is definitely off to a strong start. Brewmaster Austin and I have been having a blast. We cannot wait the glory of Alamont. We cannot. Gem of the Rocky Road. Yes. Say that's... the full name, you stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> you want to tell the people goodbye, Blue Master? Yes, I will tell them goodbye for all of us here at Dungeons and Brews. We really do appreciate all of the support, the the quotes, I'm the crying. tagging, the uh, the following on Instagram, everything. We really appreciate it so much. So until next time, part of the pod. Part of the pot, part of the room. See you guys. <laughs> nope, I got nothing left. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I'm all out of energy. Oh, Jesus. It's going to fade off <laughs> yeah, into the yeah, background yeah. now. Ooh. Stupid son of a <laughs>